So we are continuing our series today um, on encountering Jesus. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke 19, we are actually um, going to be uh, looking at this story, studying the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Um, it is, this series has really been a joy to do for a couple different reasons. For one, um, I, I joked in first service because, uh, believe it or not, there are some texts that are not very fun to study. They're not very fun to learn about. And we've all been there, um, let alone to preach a message on. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do it. We still do it. But some, you just you got to work through a little bit more. These encounters with Jesus have brought me a lot of joy. They've really challenged me in some ways. It had been a while since I've been in some of these stories uh, in, in study. And what I'm hearing from, uh, from some of you is just how you have been able to connect with them. In fact, I, there was a woman in my office this week that I had an appointment with, and she just said to me, she said, Dan, she said, um, she thanked me for the message last week, and she just said, I can't tell you. She said, I, I, a point in my life, I, I identified so much with the sick woman, not just because of some physical ailments, but because just spiritually as well. And so we had a great conversation uh, just uh, about how that connected with her, but then also how what God has been doing in her life. Uh, for many years as she sought to live out that, her life in faith. So keep sharing those stories, not just with me, but with one another, because they're, they're just a testament of God's Word being living and active and, and encouraging us and teaching us. Um, it's interesting because I shared with her the other day, I said, you know, actually this weekend, as I preach on Zacchaeus, this is actually more of my story, not only because it's a man, but because of his state spiritually, is that Zacchaeus was very much a man who didn't really understand where he was at. And uh, as we'll see in the story today, um, there were things that he had no idea that he needed from Jesus, but yet Jesus provided graciously. As we've talked about in all of these stories, it's always important in Scripture, whenever we're doing Scripture study, is that we don't just grab a text, we grab um, a, you know, even a collection of verses and pull them out and you make them say whatever we want. It's important to understand the context. So I want to share a few things about this story before we jump into it. We know uh, that Luke uh, records this story. He's the only one in the Gospels to record the story of Zacchaeus. I think that has a lot to do with uh, where Luke was at in his walking with Christ and knowing Christ, and even some similarities from Luke and Zacchaeus. But what we also know at the story is that this, is what, this was the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. In other words, he is on his way to Jerusalem and the cross. And so he's working his way there. Jericho was a place that he, he was passing through. And Jericho was located um, uh, about a thousand feet below sea level. And Jerusalem, the city on the hill, was up about 2,400 feet above sea level. Now, the significance of that is he had a hike ahead of him. And for a lot of people, Jericho became a place to settle and rest up one last time before you head to the city. You add into that the fact that this man knew that he was headed to the cross. He knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew his mission. 
And so he's walking through Jericho. Jericho was a very prosperous area because of its location it, it, and it, it, it's, um, it, the setting. There's a word, and I'm totally losing, but the weather there was really good. That's really corny to say it that way. But in other words, they had very rich produce, very rich um, uh, products from that area. And so it became a very lucrative city. And in that, there were, there were people in that area like Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So let's take a look and read a little bit about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. We're going to start in chapter 19, verse 1. This will be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you. Verse 1 of chapter 19 of Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So we're going to pause. We're going to kind of walk through this little by little. Here's what's interesting about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, while socially or as a part of his job and his wealth, was considered up on the totem pole or the ladder a bit because of his wealth, because of his work. But what people actually thought of him is that he was a tax collector. See, tax collectors in that day, particularly a Jewish tax collector, was working for the Roman government who occupied that territory. What's the big deal about that? Well, they had the right, not the right, they took advantage of. They had the opportunity to charge people whatever they wanted to charge them. This is what the Roman rule said you had to do, and they could take that and take advantage of people. And so tax collectors were not well thought of because they were cheaters. They were swindlers. They were people who took advantage of others. They often were driven by greed. And as we read about in here is that that brought them, it amassed them great wealth. And so someone who was wealthy as a tax collector was looked upon with such scorn because it wasn't fairly gained. It wasn't about working hard. It was about cheating people. And so he was one of those individuals, like all tax collectors, that was not well thought of at all. Now, what's interesting about this is that I think for a lot of people in culture, not only then but now, is that Zacchaeus didn't really understand who he was. In other words, he defined himself as a wealthy man and who was a tax collector. I got a good job and I make good money. How many of us have been in that spot? How many of us have seen others in the culture where we have, and maybe it's you have this possession, you have that possession, you have a new house or this house, you, you have all the family around you you want, whatever it may be defined as, and in that, that's what we think we need. Are those good things? They can be great things. But what Zacchaeus was about to find out, what I think we have to learn is that Zacchaeus had a greater need. He had a greater need because truly who Zacchaeus was, was he was a sinner. He was a sinner, like us all. And all of these other things had tried to play a role in his life. He had put them, made them important. He made choices. We all make choices. And those things became the most important things. All the while, his relationship with God was a mess. Do we understand what gets in the way of our relationship with God? I think that's one of the lessons from Zacchaeus. 
Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I thought maybe some of you would say, oh, we know why you, rec- you resonate with this story, because you're short too, okay? Yeah, that's just another coincidence, right? Uh, the sad thing is, in my siblings and parents, I am the tallest one. Yeah, I've got a sister who's 4'11". So... The, 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 the thing about this story and what's interesting about Zacchaeus is that he had a problem that he thought was his problem. He was too short. And he wanted to see this guy, Jesus. Now, when you look at this story a little bit, you, in the NLT it says, get a look at, ESV says, seeking to see who Jesus was. I... Um, uh, I watched a, a, a video from a movie the other day that kind of depicted this, and it kind of showed Zacchaeus in the back of the crowd. I don't, have to, I don't have to duck down, do I? I can just stand like this. So he's standing in the back crowd, and all the people were up here, and he's trying to see who Jesus was, and it wasn't working. So what he decides is that i got to get to a place where I can see this man. Now, that in itself should tell us something, because why did he want to see this? This guy obviously wasn't a stranger to him. He had heard about him. You remember last week when we talked about the woman who was sick, is that some spoke about Jesus and that rang in her ears. Likely the same situation with Zacchaeus, even though he wasn't exactly sure why he was wanting to see Jesus. But something was stirring in him. And here's what I wonder, and I was trying to find a commentary that maybe alluded to this, didn't find it, so this may not be, not be accurate. But I wonder, because if Zacchaeus saw all that Jesus was doing, and as much as Zacchaeus took advantage of people, I wonder if Zacchaeus said, I wonder if I could get a little more of this other stuff if I get near Jesus. Because that's what drove him. He worked for wealth, and, and, and he amassed it, and he thought that was going to be life. And so I wonder if a little bit of that curiosity was, or if this guy can help me. Jesus was going to help him, but not in the way that he thought. And so what does he do? Imagine a man in our culture maybe a banker, maybe a lawyer, somebody who dresses very professionally, somebody who is, is, um, has a, a high position in culture in, in our society. One of the last things in that role that you would expect to see them do is running down the street and climbing up a tree. It was a very undignified behavior. And so while a lot of people didn't notice, it doesn't really speak to it, what we know is that Zacchaeus was more than just curious. Something else was driving him here. I think it was the seeds of faith that others speaking about Jesus planted in him. I also know from experience and hearing the stories of many of you over the years, our hearts are designed to long for a relationship with God. And we put a lot of things in the way, a lot of people get in the way, the crowd, and, and turn us away from really meeting that yearning in our heart, truly satisfying it. And I believe that yearning was stirred up in Zacchaeus because why else would you undignify yourself to run and climb up a tree? And also, just to get a glimpse. That's what he did. 
whether you know it or not, no matter where you're at today, is that there is a longing in your heart that was designed in every one of us by God. And that is to be in relationship with Him. That is to know Him and love Him and serve Him, not out of obligation, but out of what God has created in us. And so sometimes we could all, at some point, perhaps acknowledge we've chased a lot of things like wealth, jobs, possessions, and it was all to meet this yearning. Zacchaeus is a reminder to us that Jesus is the only one that meets that yearning. Let's go on. Verses, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Oh, Zach got a surprise, didn't he? He did not want to get close to Jesus, only close enough to see him. It sparks a lot of things in my mind. One thing that sparks is how often do I just want to get a glimpse or just have a part of Jesus in my life without truly engaging in a relationship with him. But Jesus made a request, and it tells us a lot about Jesus. Jesus laid a request out. He lays it out to every man, woman, child in this world. He lays the request to be with him, to meet him. See, Jesus knows you. Jesus knows your story This is not about um, a a mass production of just people becoming Christians. That's not why churches should exist. But if people come to ECOB, our heart's desire must be the desire of Jesus. And that is for us to lead the lost, all of which we have been or are, right to the feet of Jesus. Because what we know in that, Jesus is seeking them. You know, we, we find a lot of places in Scripture but what we, uh, that speak of this. What we learn here is that Jesus is actually illustrating his mission. Which is fascinating when you think he's about to go to the cross. But he's illustrating his mission and he's showing that this tax collector that you all think is worth nothing beyond any attempt to rescue is that I am here to show you that I seek not just the 99 but the one. Luke 15.4 speaks of this. It's on the screen. It's, um, it's, it's a part of the parable of uh, the lost son. But Jesus is speaking to those around him. And he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. In other words, the shepherds. And loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? You see, we learn Jesus' heart here to seek people. To seek every one of us. He sought you. He is seeking you, perhaps. We have to remember that as we know people and love people is that it's not just us who see people who want to, we want to have a saving relationship with Jesus. It is Jesus himself who wants to be in relationship with them. Because at some point, doesn't it happen? At some point, we get frustrated with people. At some point, I have explained to you, I have shared with you about who I know Jesus is, and yet you, you haven't responded You see, it's the work of God in their heart. Jesus is always willing. Revelation 3.20 communicates this invitation. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus' heart is a heart of compassion, mercy, 
even when our compassion and mercy has been completely exhausted with the person, Jesus' compassion and mercy likely has just begun. Do we doubt sometimes that Jesus is willing? I think the question for us is, say, are we? Are we willing to put ourselves before him? And then we have this response. Look at verse 6. So he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now there's a lot in here, but here's what we need to catch. Is that Jesus was busted. It's like the kid at home and grandma and grandpa, well grandma and grandpas don't do this very much, but mom and dad are going and saying, okay, you're in trouble. And, and when you say that, what happens with kids most of the time? They either try to hide, they either try to bolt out of the room, whatever. They're trying to get away. Zacchaeus didn't plan on talking to Jesus or Jesus addressing him. But something in him caused him not to run. I think it was that faith that was planted in him and stirring and already beginning to work because Jesus' act of even addressing Zacchaeus, I think communicated to Zacchaeus, he cares about me. Zacchaeus couldn't have helped but thought of maybe even some of the other tax collectors that Jesus had ate with or the other down and outs or the outcast in society that Jesus said, no, I want you. To know me. So in that, Jesus, I can I can almost envision envision Jesus jumping out of the tree, which for a short guy is quite a distance. He couldn't get down there quick enough. Oh, to be like Zacchaeus with Jesus, to run to him with joy and with gratitude. You know, I think the longer we're Christians, the harder it is sometimes to not let the world to get us down, which really seems opposite. Our joy and gratitude should always be growing as Christ followers because that's a representation of who Jesus is. And so I want to encourage you that on those days where you feel like, you know what, following Jesus is just hard today. Is it really worth it? You bet it is. Is it challenging? Yes, it is. But that's what a relationship with Jesus is about. It is to give us joy in the sorrow and the pain and the suffering. And I look around this room and first service and today, and I see hundreds of you that have walked incredibly painful circumstances, yet you've walked with Jesus and you've sought joy and you've sought gratitude. People notice, by the way. Not just those close to you, but even those not so close to you. Because then there's the reaction of the crowd. Zacchaeus couldn't get down quick enough. He was full of joy. He was rejoicing. And then the crowd. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. There he goes again. Paraphrase. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're thinking back of when he went to Levi, Matthew. And, and went to Levi and called him to be a, a disciple. He was an apostle. He went to his house. Here he goes again. Three and a half years and this guy still does not get it. You don't invite sinners to dinner. You don't go to their house. Because when you do that, you as, might as well take on their sin. You associate yourself. And he's doing it again. Here's the sad thing. 
The sad thing is they missed the miracle. They missed it. This man, what we're about to hear, is that has experienced a change in his heart. He was converted. He was saved and rescued. And the people could only complain. Woo! God help us if we ever get like that. God help us if God uses something in us, in this church, and we complain because it wasn't the way we wanted it. If it leads people to Jesus. Now we have to be biblical. We have to, be, we have to honor God's word and Jesus himself. But these people were selfish. And you know what happened? They missed it. They missed, they missed what Jesus did in that man's life. That's what selfish, selfishness always does that to us. It, it, it leads us to not see Jesus clearly. When we are selfish, it prevents us from seeing Jesus clearly. At this point in the story, I want to go beyond the text just a little bit as we come to the, the end because there are some things that if you don't look closely, you assume the rest of this story takes place under the tree. It's not. In fact, I want to I look at the New Living Translation up on the screen here. Verse 6, the New Living Translation. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. And verse 7, uh, at this, this point, we'll get to it in a moment. But um, what has happened here is there now is a change of setting. They go from under the tree and they head to Zacchaeus' house which is very important because of what's about to happen. So if you look at it in the NIV, you, if you look at the verbs, you, you begin to see that, um, that he really, they really have left this setting to go to Jesus' house. And so likely what's happening in Jesus' house is they're there for a meal. The meal's being prepared, and people are sitting around, uh, legs crossed on the floor talking. Likely Jesus is there Um, talking with them. They're having conversation. And then what happens is that Zacchaeus cannot hold it in any longer. He cannot do it. Jesus is sitting in his house, and God has done a work in his heart. And so Jesus stands up. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up in his house and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay four times the amount. This is huge. Remember what I said is that Zacchaeus found his identity and his work and his wealth? What has he just done? He's thrown it all out. He's, he's saying in this, my money is no longer the most important thing in my life. In fact, I didn't realize how poor I was because all I had was money. And so he makes two huge declarations in front of Jesus and everybody else sitting in his house. Now, I know in our culture, people say things and don't follow through all the time. So hearing this is like, oh yeah, he was probably just pulling, pulling it over their eyes. No, in this culture, when you stand up and you say something like that, that's your word and you stand on it. You live by it. And so he makes two statements. He says, the first thing I'm going to do is going to give half of my wealth to the poor. This was a confession of faith. It was faith in Jesus to provide because this was the money that he got fairly, 
okay? He made money fairly as a tax collector. Yeah, he cheated a lot of people, but the base of it, he earned money, as all tax collectors did, in a good way. And he says, I'm going to take all of that, half of that, and I'm going to give it to the poor. See the recognition in his, in, his, in his heart, in his mind, is that I can trust this man with me. I can trust him. Can we trust him is my question. Can we trust his faith, our faith, like his faith is? And something about when the love of Jesus takes over your life is that you learn to love generously beyond sometimes what doesn't make sense. Can you imagine what his family said? You're going to what? Yes. See, this speaks to the value of generous living that we have at ECOB. How are you living generously? That's in a call to serve. We have these, these young children out in front of us today. They need people in their lives speaking in those classrooms and other settings. We serve together in this church, not just for children, but for all of us. And it's about us giving generously to that, our gifts and our talents. I want to continue to encourage you to pray about that. If, if your participation in the life of ECOB is coming on Sunday morning and that's it, I'm telling you, you're missing the full life of a disciple. You're missing it. Be more than that because God's designed you to give and he has uniquely created you to give much and he wants it from you. Are we going to have the faith to trust him with it? So as if that wasn't enough, then he says, okay, now for all the people I've cheated... I'm going to pay back and I'm going to do it fourfold, which is far above what the Mosaic Law. If you go back and read the Mosaic Law, there was a certain amount that was required to, do, to pay restitution. He went above and beyond that. He applied it to himself. And the cool thing about this phrase, I, I will pay back, what that essentially means in the Greek is I will restore. You see, there is a repentance and a confession of sin here from Zacchaeus. And he says, I'm not only going to make things right, I'm going to be a minister, as Scripture says, of reconciliation. I'm going to speak truth into people's lives. I'm not just going to pay them back. I'm going to help restore them. What an incredible witness we've seen in this guy. Can you imagine all the colony of priests and others around there saying, Oh my gosh, this guy has put us to shame in a matter of moments, because he's demonstrated his faith, he's confessed his sin, and he's produced fruit. Look at Luke 3, 8. Produce fruit in keeping with the repentance. And not begin, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Essentially what that means is don't claim your title, live it. Don't claim your title as a Christian. Bear fruit, not just because you have a title, because that's what you're, but it's because where your heart's at. You see, people come into contact with that, like with Zeus, they will be drawn to Jesus. He was forever changed. And that's because he did something with Jesus. He responded to Jesus. Look back to our theme verse that we've been walking these last few weeks. Uh, if you don't know the drill, just uh, read along with everybody else. But 2 Corinthians, uh, the blue screen, Adam, there we go. So with me, read this. And think about Zacchaeus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You see, Zacchaeus, if you take nothing else from this story, look at the picture of discipleship that this man just gave us. 
You live in faith and you act upon it. When there is sin in your life, whether you recognize it or not, you confess and repent before God. And then you take whatever you have and you bear fruit from it. You serve people. You love people. You worship with others. Because what all of that says is that you've done something with Jesus. You look at the other side of what could have been of this story. You can't help but think back to the rich young ruler. Remember, he comes before Jesus and says, Hey, I've followed all of the laws. I've done it all. What else must I do to know and serve you? And what Jesus says is, give away everything you have. Give it away and come to me. And one of the saddest stories in Scripture, he says, I can't. In other words, he didn't do anything with Jesus. He walked away from him. We have to respond. We have to help others respond. Lastly, I want to say this. In verse 9 and 10, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. And here it is. This is the verse of Luke. This is the the culmination of Luke's entire gospel. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so Zacchaeus' story is a demonstration of that in living color. Right there. Right before he goes to the cross. He says, you think I'm here just to do miracles? You think I'm here just to create a stir? No, you're going to find out really why I'm here in just about a week. But before, there, before then, let me, make, let me make the point one more time and let me illustrate it to you. Right before your very eyes, I have come to seek compassion and mercy and grace, the lost. And I have the power to forgive. The power, the authority of God. But we all have a choice, don't we? What are you going to do with Jesus? My prayer is that you always welcome him. My prayer is that you point others to him. There's a verse in John 3 that most everybody knows if you've ever been to a baseball or a football game. John 3.16. I don't like this verse. Here's why. Most of the time, it's quoted without verse 17. And I think verse 17 is essential to understanding verse 16. It's great truth in verse 16. But you need verse 17. After we find out that God sent his son to save the world, verse 17 brings a direct clarity that I think we must include when we share the gospel with people. For God did not send his son into the world. What's the word there? To condemn the world, but to save the world through him. People look at your life and see a savior. I hope so. That's what will build God's kingdom. That's what we as a church are going to continue to focus on. I want people to look at us and see Jesus. And so we're going to relentlessly challenge one another and love one another 
to live out what it means for Jesus to be our Savior so that others will receive it as well. Let's pray. Father, what a story. But God, it's more than just a story. It's life. Life in you. Thank you for this, this, this encounter that Zacchaeus had. Thank you from all that we can learn from it. Help us understanding what it means to be a disciple. And God, may we live it. May we live it in such a way that people see you and your son in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.